I was thinking the other day, a friend of mine has a podcast called Reframables, and they call their listeners Reframables. And then there's the My Favorite Murder podcast, and they call their listeners Murderinos. Do you folks ever call your listeners stagehands? No. no. I feel like you're missing some branding. Crazy or insane or like outcasts. (laughs) I feel like you could sell some merch, you know, proud stagehands. Yeah. It slip it rolls nicely off the tongue. All right, stagehands. Today we're talking about Black Panther. I hated it. I know you loved it. Yeah, no, stagehands. Make it happen. I can seriously. I can see the logo right now. The stagehands. Yeah, you know, proud stagehands. It's good. We should call our like our patrons that. That's what I'm saying. You got to make this happen. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 297 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Good people, just in case you couldn't tell by the music in the stores or the festive films bubbling to the top of your feed, it is officially the holiday season. It is the time of year where we eat a little more, drink a little more, burn our lights a little brighter in the darkness, and most importantly, gather with the people we care about. We haven't really been able to do that the last few years, and I don't know about you, but I missed it. I miss the catch-ups, the laughs, the shared plates, and the raised glasses. It's what this time of year is all about, and why I'm happy you stopped by to share an hour or so with me, why also I'm happy that my guest today has dropped by too. He and I have been talking for 10 whole years now, more I think, and I have enjoyed every second of it. He's fun to listen to, fun to learn from, fun to disagree with, and a lot of fun to tease. A turducken of fun, if you will. He is the head cheese at the Film Stage Podcast, direct from the Beltway. Brian J. Rowan is here. How are you, man? So you said turducken of fun, and I immediately was like, I need to mash turducken and fun together. But like the word that immediately sprung to mind would like violate one of the two things that you told me specifically not to do. <laughs> yes, podcast. please. Please don't. Yeah, we're good. I, I actually, I used it in a work meeting this week, and then I added a fourth thing so they're like no but now you're that's not a turducken anymore you got to add a smaller bird i'm like so a squab we'll call it a a turducken knob and i i want to what is that they were in this movie a a game hen well a turducken end doesn't work a turducken knob sounds great but uh it's even dirtier and worse than what i was gonna say stop it (laughs) on episode 297 we will be discussing bones and all not love and bones as i thought it was called and brian immediately said we're gonna name our bar that by the way i've gotten a lot of great feedback on love and bones oh yeah and people are very excited for it we we need to make this happen we you know like all weekend would be like singles night yeah it's it's just part of the branding. We will you, be flipping the record over and playing the other side now that we're done planning our bar. Uh, but first, we need to learn more about Brian. This is Know Your Enemy. Brian first appeared on episode 63. We talked about The Dark Knight Rises. We learned the first film he ever saw in a theater was Jurassic Park. The last movie he saw at the time was Win Win. The worst film he'd ever seen was Remember Me. His unseen classic or essential was Fritz Lang's Metropolis. How you doing there? Nope. <laughs> I, gotta, I should go on Criterion Channel and see if awesome. I got it. 
The film you wish he made is The Tree of Life. On episode 81, we talked about the incredible Burt Wonderstone. We learned the film he digs but nobody else does is Battle of Los Angeles. The film everybody else likes that he does not is Cloud Atlas. The last movie to make him cry was Les Miserables. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Michael Fassbender. And the next movie he was watching was Rust and Bone. See, I'm thinking a perfect triple feature, by the way, would be Rust and Bone, Bones and All, and All is Lost. I, I, you know, you need to make that happen. <laughs> And but, all those will be playing on Ladies' Night at Love and Bones. <laughs> Love and Bones. <laughs> ah, an episode. wings yes. and uh, 10% off all domestic bourbon. <laughs> on episode 217, we talked about High Flying Bird. We learned that the film that made Brian's love of film turn a corner, it's two of them, The Thin Red Line and The Fountain. Uh, his first date movies were Mission Impossible 2 and Closer. His sick day movie is Shame. The last movie to leave him speechless was Darren Aronofsky's Mother. And his film Epitaph would be from Unforgiven. Deserves got nothing to do with it. On episode 236, Brian returned to talk about Knives Out. We were going to talk about the sequel here, but reasons. We learned the film that he really digs but never wants to see again is Inland Empire. The last film to genuinely freak him out was The Descent. The film that always makes him laugh is 21 Jump Street. His favorite movie soundtrack is Train Spotting. And the movie he loves but seemingly nobody else has heard of is The Page Turner. Finally, on episode 249, Brian talked about Mank. There was an episode after that, but we just cut to the straight goods. On episode 249, when we talked about Mank, we learned that when Brian goes to the theater, he likes to sit either in the middle, three quarters back, if it's a big multiplex, or in the middle, two thirds back, if it is an indie rep house. If you could go on a date with any movie character, he chose either Rapunzel from Tangled or Elle Woods from Legally Blonde. The dirtiest movie he's ever seen is Sweet Movie. His favorite black and white film is King Kong. And the film he likes, but nobody would expect him to like, is the classic West Side Story. It is time, sir, for round six at home or in a theater. What is your movie snack of choice? So I don't I don't need anything in a theater. Of course you don't. Right. You know, I'm just not that guy. Uh, there have been times when I have a popcorn, but that that's not like my snack of choice because my choice is none. At home, usually it's a bag of chips. Mm. I will like open a bag of chips or get a bag of chips and then just like let it hang out with me through the whole movie. For bones and all, like I opened a bag of chips, sat down, was munching them chips while they were munching them bones. And like <laughs> five minutes in, I'm like pretty regularly eating a chip, but then like it tapers off. But then when I get bored with the movie or I just like, oh, I need to eat something, I grab some chips. And so like I don't eat the whole bag. Right. Having the whole bag as an option is a good thing for me. I used to try to do ice cream, but then like if I'm eating Ben and Jerry's, I'm not going to eat the whole Ben and Jerry's and then I'd have to like go put it back. Yeah. Mid movie having to get up. That's no good. So the chips are perfect because they keep. Yeah. Right. Hang out the whole movie. Need the to old- be like warmed, you know, like if no. I did at home popcorn, the yeah. popcorn would only be hot for like the first quarter of the movie. Right. And that's something you got cold, weird popcorn. No, no one wants that. However, there is one little problem that I don't know if anybody watching a movie with you has thought of, or certainly you haven't, is that you've probably chosen the loudest snack ever between the rustling of the bag and the munching of the snack. Yes. If I'm watching a movie with someone, I'm back to not eating anything. If that's the case, every time I've had someone at my house and we've watched a movie, it's been hard liquor, not even cocktails, (laughs) just like... Here, here's your glass. Here is this open thing of bourbon. And this is just how we're spending this movie. A a jar with three X's on it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Giant earthenware clay pot with X's on it. 
I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong, like, you know, nothing wrong with having, like, a, you know, a good, good hard drink with some of these movies that we're watching. So I, I can think of a lot of, like, you know, straight liquor drinks that would have gone with, with Bones and all. Like, this really struck me very much as a bourbon kind of movie. I don't know I about you. I think I did have some bourbon with this movie. I've been in the middle of, like, screener season. I'm actually, my voting for my critic circle starts tonight. Okay. So as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to like go and start filling the ballot out. It's just been whatever, whatever night I watched this one and like whatever I watched on Wednesday, I definitely was like, I just, I'm going to have a drink with this. I just, get, I'm so get to do it. Uh, Mr. Rowan, what is a movie world that you would like to spend a day in? Okay. I want, I want to go to the world where the purge happens, but I don't want to be there for the purge. I want to be there for the day after the purge. You're going to need to show your work on this one. The news cycle right now is a person on Twitter says that they're going to make chili for their neighbors. And they are the enemy of the world <laughs> for like a two day cycle. Right. So what is it like in the purge world afterwards? Like, like I know that you can't be arrested for any of the crimes you did. But if you're like, I killed 14 people and your friends are like, nice. And you're like, yeah, and 13 of them were Welsh. Like, do you suddenly get canceled for like having an anti-Welsh bet? And it's like, well, I didn't even realize they were Welsh. It's like, well, you know, oh, you only killed these people. Like, I know that that's a subtext to the movies is that it's right. like a socioeconomic thing. Uh-huh. But like, I'm just curious if that plays in any way of like, oh, your like thing was, the- or like, what if you don't take part? Like, do your friends give you shit the whole year? Like, I'm just... I want to know how that society functions in that way. And are there like sales the next day of like, you know, purge items or like 40% off like, Oh, you know, our, our like store white was sales on, on president's day. Yeah. <laughs> I got to imagine there probably are. Or like, you've got like a guy who's like stolen a car, but his intention was never to keep it. It was always to sell it. But now that the purge is over it's like, oh, this is technically not my car. It is stolen property. So it wasn't illegal to steal it, but it will be illegal if I sell it. So now I've got to sit on it for a year so I could sell it during the next purge. I've only ever seen the first purge. That's the only one I've ever seen. I'm, I'm good. Um, now, you but, mean the purge the number purge. one, right? Yeah. Not the f- not, wasn't there oh, one is there a film the called first The First Purge? purge? Oh, Jesus lordy this franchise is just gone and gone and gone yeah the Um, the 2018 film the first purge oh my sweet lord so Um, i really look if you told me that the first purge you ever saw was the first first purge purge, i'd be like right that makes sense to me yeah okay um no i saw the purge whatever it's like the purge period end of end of sentence yes um, and I was like, I'm good. I get, I get this. I get this idea. However, I'm, I am thinking in my head one, what I would love to do is I want to like end of the graduate that movie. Like I want, <laughs> I want the sun to come up and I want the camera to linger while they all just all of a sudden, you know, like it dawns on them what they just did. Right. You know, that that's where I want like, oh, this is great. That was really good. No, I want I want the camera to hold and hold and hold (laughs) while reality sits in. I want, you know, that that, that's that's the version of the purge I want. I like I like this answer. It's got layers. I like now is what kind of thing. And like I I I love movies and stories where like a huge thing happens and then you have like another hour because the actual story is how do we deal with this? It's one of the reasons why I like Ian McEwen novels so much because it's like end of act one is 
this girl has accused like the family gardener of like rape and he's yeah. about to go to jail. And then yeah. the next two sections are the fallout of that over decades. Yeah. It's the opposite of how every Jane Austen book ends with a wedding. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the opposite. It's like, okay, so we're going to do this and then we're going to find out like the, the, you know, the after we're going to, we're going to learn that Mr. Darcy and Mrs. Bennett actually had a terrible marriage. Um, I, I like it's, it's, it's interesting. And yet at the same time, somewhat nihilistic. I like it. Um, okay. I want to see that movie and I, and I, and I do want to go to that world. I want to like, you know, just sit in the cafe and listen to people talking the next day. I like this a lot. Kind of in the same vein, Brian J. Rowan, what is your favorite good scene in a bad movie? Um, so I, I always say like that I hated Avengers Age of Ultron with like the passion and fury that was unmatched until Endgame came around. Um, but there is a scene in that movie that's incredible and that I want more of those kinds of stories, but I actually don't want any more stories in the Marvel Universe. I'm very done with it. But th- this was like 10 years ago. It was when they were all trying to pick up the hammer. Oh yeah. And I was just like, this is beautiful. Like one of the things, like one of the things that's great about the Incredibles is when like Mr. Incredible and Frozone are just like hanging out. Right. And being cool. And you get to see like him and Elastigirl, like being a mom and a dad. And like, I love that stuff. And that's like the one thing where it felt actually like this is a group of people who like each other and have personalities and are doing a thing and also like it was a nice little bit of like character building for like captain america to come and like he moves it and thor's like oh what that's not good (laughs) i mean what's interesting about this is what you're talking about is one of the unfortunate discrepancies in the medium because Mm -hmm. in the comic books that kind of shit happens all the time all the time all the time all the time you know there'll be a whole page where Hawkeye calls up Tony Stark to hook up his PVR because he can't figure it out. You know, and it's like he can't log on to the Wi-Fi. That will be an entire page of panels of them just going back and forth or Hawkeye complaining. It tends to always be Hawkeye complaining about, you know, how he's three episodes behind on Game of Thrones and he's pissed off that Spider-Man is dropping spoilers. This is actual stuff that happens. Spider-Man is ruining the group chat. That is what he, yeah, exactly. That that is the kind Mm -hmm. of thing that actually does happen. And it's because they're telling the story at a slower pace. They're telling the story with, you know, less financial stakes that they can do this shit and they can waste, not waste time. They can actually spend time on these, you know, little in-between normal moments in between apocalypses plural because every every six months somebody's trying to destroy the universe i do get what you mean with that scene because they don't seem to have a whole lot of them they'll kind of drop in one uh in the course of these movies where where two characters just hang out for five minutes but they're very very few and far between and it's like okay we got to get back to the world about to blow up you know so we don't we don't have time to sit here and eat shawarma there's always a lot of like banter and like ribbing but it it very rarely feels like there's any actual like character work yeah so yeah no i I, I get that a nice little image of like what a movie could be if like they slowed the fuck down (laughs) every once in a while it it really is like the marvel movies are just like all climax and i'm just like can we like is there is there a story are there people here the opposite of your emq and books they're all building to the end 
Yeah, they, precisely. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I mean, you know, and you're talking to a guy who's not really crazy about that movie uh, anyway. So I, I totally, I'm totally on board. Um, yeah, that's and it is a good scene and it's not a good movie. So well played. Brian, what is the most violent movie you have ever seen? I struggled a lot with this. Because oh, how, how do you, how do you define violence? I mean, like if we're being, that's if we're what, being honest. That is the benefit of this section of the show. Welcome right. to 13 years of podcasting. <laughs> That's like the problem, though, is like, oh, it's got to be like the Raider John Wick, right? But then you're like, but like, those don't feel violent. Like, they don't have a sensation of violence. Like, one of the most violent things I've ever seen in a movie is when that Nazi stabs the guy really slowly in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Like, that's still super jarring to me. So I wanted to go for a good mix of, like, high-impact violence and lingering damage violence. Okay. Uh, along with like actual gore and stuff and horror and badness. So I went with the proposition by John Hillcoat. Oh man. Yeah. That movie is like one of the few movies where you can feel the gangrene setting in over the course of the narrative. (laughs) And there's just so much awfulness in there. And it's not like John wick where it's like, he killed 40 people and there's not like a drop of blood anywhere. Like what the fuck? This is like, I'm sorry. I cursed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this the proposition is like a person gets a spear thrown through them and for the rest of that movie that is an issue that he has to deal with <laughs> and it's not easy and it's not fun and someone gets flogged in that movie and it's so awful and like they 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 ring out the the flail that they're using to do it and it is awful and like even the people who have walked up to this town square to see this person get flogged all eventually leave before the flogging is even over because that's how much it sucks i always get that movie and bone tomahawk mixed up oh yeah that's another one that probably could because there's like there's violence in that movie and it's not pleasant but like i feel like bone tomahawk it's really the the, the vivisection yeah that yeah, sticks it's, in my one, it's one moment that really I do have to, when I'm sitting down to watch one of his movies, go, am I ready for the head stomping scene? Am I ready for the, like, uh, bank heist scene? Like, are, what are, am I ready for the one scene that I know is just going to grind this movie to a halt for me? I mean, <sighs> and the other thing, too, is the flogging scene in the proposition. Like, it's one of those things where I think about, uh, as a for instance, I think about The Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, that's a violent movie on a surface, but it's violent when you don't think about the logistics of crucifixion and a flogging. It's like, no, it's like, oh yeah, you know, like we all know that this happened. He got whipped and then he got nailed to a cross. It's like, yeah, take a second and sit with that. Right. You know, because I don't think you're really thinking that through because it's not like it's going to hurt. It's really going to look terrible and you are not going to want to witness it. And it's the same thing. The proposition It's like, okay, yeah, take him out back and whip him. And you know, normal movie you go, you know, you see like four lashes, you, you know, you see the person scream out a few times and then we cut away, you know, we cut away usually to the scene of them being dressed or the wounds or whatever. We don't linger there. We don't sit and actually watch the, the, corporal punishment being handed down and there's a reason for that because it's bloody terrible well even like pun intended if you think about like like paul verhoeven has a a whipping scene in um starship troopers yeah and it's like nothing compared to the scene in the proposition and like yeah i remember going and seeing the passion of the christ and i was like i'm catholic i've heard the story of the passion so many times in church and then i'm just like watching it i'm like oh this is 
really bad. We're, we're, like, we're going over all of it. Okay. I was like, I don't think I really came to grips with the physical reality of what that was like. Cause you, you're just like, yeah, they like, they, they, they whip, they flog. I think they call it like a flogging or something. And they put the crown of thorns on his head. And then like, you know, he gets nailed to a cross and it's like, well, I'm seeing him right up there. He doesn't look too bad. Yeah. He looks all right. And he's like, oh, right. Cause that's art. And it's not supposed to scare the children too bad. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like, oh boy. Last but not least for now, what is a movie monologue that you would love to deliver? Um, this was hard. Cause I'm like, there's a lot of great monologues, but the situation that I'm in would dictate what the monologue is. So it's sure. like, Oh, I'd love to give the Braveheart monologue, but I don't know that I would love to be about to get murdered by the British Army like <laughs> 700 years ago. Right. So I went with uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, the uh, always be closing monologue, okay. because I have a, a watch that costs more than most people's car. I drove to the place in a BMW. I'm I'm, re- I'm in real good with Mitch and Murray. And I've got the Glengarry leads. So like that's me in a great position. And then I get to yell at a bunch of people. I get, to, I get to call them a word that you can't use anymore. Third place is you're fired. <laughs> yeah, I get to do that. I mean, I say most of that monologue to people a lot of the time anyway. So, you know, I feel like I feel like I get it. I can do it. Oddly enough, David Mamet has not come up enough on this show. And that's oh, a that's real. A I, yeah, I know. The man just writes pearls, really. Even movies that aren't really all that great like Spartan is not really a good movie, but at the same time, it's, it's just chock-a-block full of like great lines, you know, you you know, I'll be like a brother to you. Ah, My brother always beat me, you know, it's like (laughs) stuff like that. And, and Glengarry Glenn Ross is kind of mammoth on steroids. Like I don't know that he ever topped that. Um, And you're right. There are so many great lines in it. And among them, that whole speech that a lot of other movies have tried to copy. Um, I, I could, I could totally see you giving that one, you know, walking into walking into a, a, you know, a training session and just tearing the room apart like that. I feel like it's what I was made to do. Now you've got me wanting to watch state in Maine. You remember that one? Oh yeah. That's a great Maine Maine rules. <laughs> it does not, not, not enough love out there for state in Maine. Um, all right, there we go. That's more about Brian. We'll learn more when he inevitably shows back up. We have a movie to talk about. We are going to, um, we're going to have a little, uh, nice, uh, dinner snack here with this movie. Uh, we're going to come back with the new slang right after this. It is bones and all on Matt Nacast two nine seven. Bones and All was directed by Luca Guadagnino. It's, it stars Taylor Russell, Timothy Chalamet, Mark Rylance, Michael Stuhlbarg, Andre Holland, and Chloe Sevigny. Bones and All is about Marin, that's Russell, a teenage girl in middle America who has a secret. We learned the secret real fast, so I don't mind telling you, she's a cannibal. When the secret comes out after a moment of impulse, she runs, setting off across middle America alone. Amazingly, on her journey, she meets others of her kind, some terrifying, some beautiful. One of the most beautiful is Lee, that's Chalamet, another fine young cannibal who she strikes up a kinship with. Together, the two find a connection that makes them both feel so much less alone in a deeply isolating world. But as often happens in the face of young love, 
There are challenges on the road, accidents waiting to happen, impulses impossible to control. How far can Marin and Lee go down the highway? Well, ask how long young love tends to last, and you'll find your answer. Bones and All is a lonely movie. It drifts through houses, restaurants, shops, diners, and camps, but the story, the characters within it, never seem to find a home. It's enough to make one feel lonely, like they never find their own place, their home. That our individual bit of weirdness will keep us alone on the path for a long, long time. So, pop quiz, Hotshot. How does this film handle the theme of loneliness? Did it make you feel hopeful that everyone has a chance of finding communion somewhere along the road? Does it make you think that we're all doomed to walk hungry on our path alone? I think it makes me think that you're doomed if you're a cannibal. <laughs> I, I actually think one of the major failings of this movie is that its allegory is very difficult to apply. It's incredibly hard to look at this movie and be like, oh, yeah, like I see the thing. It's a metaphor for blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, you don't understand that vampirism is really like the AIDS crisis. And it's like, oh, right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. No, like this movie, it's it's very difficult to to graft it perfectly onto anything. And I don't think that the movie does enough to do that or to make it its own thing. So you can just kind of exist with it alone. So like throughout the whole movie, I was just kind of like, yeah, but you eat people. Like, <laughs> and it never got me over. And this is actually a problem I've had with like one other of Guadagnino's movies where I'm just like, you didn't do enough to get me over the moral hump. Okay. And so this movie is not working for me on a lot of levels. I will say I disliked this movie more than I've, or less than I've disliked all of his other movies. So oh, like, okay. In terms of like the arc of history, he <laughs> he's is on an upward swing moving towards me liking one of his movies someday. <laughs> but like I, I had a lot of problems with um, uh, Call Me By Your Name. I thought that Suspiria was a disaster. And hmm. this movie, I was like, oh, this is just boring and not particularly <laughs> interesting. This is a good step forward for him. Okay, so I was not bored. I, I, I got I to gotta get that one out there for sure. I was, I was a lot of things in this movie, but I was not bored. I did feel the loneliness. Like the, the thing about this movie is that it wants us to hang our hats on these two making a connection and, you know, not wandering all alone like not like sitting in the truck and sleeping there for a night by yourself or not wandering like sitting alone at the back of the bus while you're going off down the highway but actually finding another person who you don't think is going to kill you in your sleep or you know get you into some sort of shit like a lot of the other cannibals that they meet along the way we'll talk about them in a second but the thing was i didn't actually by their connection. They're both fine actors. They're both one, not fine. Like they're both wonderful actors in their own right and do good things in other mm -hmm. projects. And, I, and I'm not a hard mark when it comes to this kind of thing. We talked about Luca and I totally, totally bought those two animated characters having this wonderful little kinship with, and then with, with the girl who they find and they have like a little three musketeers thing. I totally yeah. bought it. These two <clears throat> actors in this situation, in this story, they, they they weren't actually kind of setting off the sparks, which is weird because they're both young and pretty. So it should kind of come naturally. <laughs> um, yeah. And that to me left it feeling really isolating and cold. Um, so, okay. Yeah, you did not like this. Correct. To walk you through my, my experience with this movie, I was, I, I kind of knew what it was about, but I didn't know how much it was going to be about it or in what ways it was going to be about it. I actually liked it for a, a long portion of its runtime. Okay. Um, and then I got bored and then I liked it again. And then I 
just never recovered because I was like, why are you still going on? You you're done. You've done what you need to like, please stop, stop going. I don't need to meet this character again. I don't need to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Please stop the movie. <laughs> and, and again, like just not being able to track the metaphor was very difficult for me. And I, I agree with what you said. Like, I don't feel the sparks between these two. I thought that they were really good as like friends, but the second that the movie tried to make them more romantic, I was like, not into it really. Taylor Russell's like in the running for best performances given in really, really awful movies. So the question of loneliness, if it had been her picaresque kind of, you know, Pinocchio style, like going and meeting random people and never fully connecting with anyone, if it had just been episodically her travelogue, like if it had that's been, a that, that's been, a great movie, right? If it had been like fully Nomadland instead of like partial Nomadland, right? In terms of like, well, we took the purple skies and the living in a van, but we forgot all the other good parts. That would have <laughs> been perfect. I think that setting her up with Chalamet and bringing Sully back there, those are some some weird narrative choices that are made that the movie can't deal with and recover from. There was something about this movie that I actually loved. Uh, but there, but there were a lot of things where I was just waiting for the next thing to happen. Um, and, and that's the, that's the strange part is I know that this guy can shoot a movie. Like I've, I've seen some really, really stunning imagery from a lot of his other movies. There was not that in this, in this film, there's a, there's a handful of really nice shots, but it, it really is not anything like a bigger splash or certainly not like call me by your name or, or Suspiria for how bananas that movie is. It's less a film than it is just a ser- like a quilt of leftover patches that don't actually go, you know? And, and that's the strange thing. I don't hate it, but it's hard for me to recommend it. It's not the kind of thing that I see myself going back to. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't like Luca explain why he's not a good filmmaker. Um, <laughs> I think that he can, like shoot good images but like why don't i just tell like say that that's his cinematographer Mm. i don't know i just i i have not vibed with a a single thing that he's done maybe like we just wouldn't get along as people like maybe we're just maybe we're just too different in that way like i said i had the same problem with calling by your name as i had with this movie which is like i just think that he is enamored of creating a situation but not really like working with it long enough he just wants you to accept it and he just wants this like this is what it is be cool with it and it's like no you need to do some work to make me cool with it man and it just he's not interested in that like i mean this movie has this this movie has the line where it's like she says let's be people for a while yeah i think i kind of think that's that feels like that's his jam he wants to take people in strange situations whether they're rock stars or modern dancers or cannibals and let them be normal for five minutes that's a strange course to take because Mm. we like rock stars because they're rock stars i don't want rock stars to be just like us you know when i see those pictures of the rock star buying their dunkin donuts it's like i don't (laughs) uh, uh, you know no put the curtain back you know that's not the side of i don't want to know they're just like us um but that is very much luca's jam in a lot of ways like he wants to linger with them in their you know in their more fraught moments in their self-conscious moments you know he wants to watch the cannibal wrestle with whether or not it decides to eat and yet it does he doesn't always have 
the narrative, not literally text, but he doesn't always have the filmmaking narrative to back it up and make it interesting. I will just say like this movie isn't really about cannibals. It's, no. And that's another weird thing. Cause like, I, I don't like, there was just an aspect where like the first attack that we see, yeah. I was like, Oh, she's going to get this girl alone and then she's going to do whatever. And instead she's just like in the middle of the living room and she's like, Oh, sniff, sniff bunch. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh, we're dealing with like a compulsion. I'm like, that could be interesting. I mean, to eat people to stay alive, but they eat normal food too. Yeah. So like, <laughs> here, here the pro- like in a vampire movie, the tension is I must drink blood to live. Right. If you love me as a person, you have to accept that in order for my essence to sustain itself, I need to drink blood. And in the movie, like ravenous, ravenous is you eat someone, you gain their power. That is addictive in and of itself. Why don't we just keep doing more of this? Like this right. is great. And so it becomes almost like a drug metaphor or yeah. a manifest destiny metaphor. Like, why wouldn't I keep chewing up all these people? Like it's making me stronger. And in this movie, it's like I could 100% eat cornflakes, but I'd rather eat Miriam. <laughs> it's, it's, so it becomes this weird push pull of like, it's a compulsion. They can't handle it. But also like, they're totally fine if they don't. And then it, I and they kind of make it sound like maybe it starts to suck if you don't do it the older you get. But they never really go into that. They're not like, oh, yeah, at some point, like everything except human flesh is going to taste like ashes in your mouth. They're like, uh, that's going to suck. So like maybe you should just start eating people. Well, no, I mean, they're like seem totally cool. They're drinking Budweiser. They're <laughs> eating hamburgers and diners. And then every once in a while, she's just like, like uh, you know, what do you feel tonight? I feel like you go for people. Yeah. Well, People maybe. People. And then her moral compass is like, I was totally fine eating that guy when I thought he was scamming kids. But now that I know that he had a family, uh, I feel bad. And it's like, I don't know. I think the fact that he was cheating on his wife with like a teenager makes him more eatable. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, and I think that that's part of the problem with what like I have with Luca is that I don't fully grasp what his sense of morality is is i don't get a feel of it just seems to be like this is fun this is shocking this is like gonna take some sensibilities down and if i do it in a place with cool lighting it like you know not in the present day it's amazing the film is not about cannibals unless it's absolutely about cannibals like every (laughs) every three or four scenes the you know a few of the cannibals get together and they just have a long conversation about what it means to be cannibal Right? right. Like, you know, like Michael Stuhlbarg comes on and does what Michael Stuhlbarg does in a, in a Guadagnino film, which is basically just take over. Do you just for, need me to come in and do a one man show? For yeah, a while? yeah, I exactly. Can I come and do a monologue? Because I know you love that. He go, he has this very, very macabre monologue where he talks about once you cross the line of bones and all there that's is the name of the movie. Yeah, that's the name of the movie. Yes. <laughs> but also it's just like, I'm like, you are see you're you're kind of tiptoeing towards a, a phrase here that I don't really want to repeat because it's not great, but it's like you know once you do something you don't go back, and it's I'm like oh this is this is really really kind of gross, and they 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 talk about how you know the need for it and and how you can do it and whatnot. Uh, Sully comes in, talks about you know how he is able to do it. Now he can smell people and he takes their 
hair and he weaves their hair into this rope and he carries a rope around with him and what it means and how long he's been doing it. And oh, I've been doing it so long I can smell other cannibals. And that's, you know, when, when the old cannibals show up, it seems to be just, we need to talk about being cannibals. Like there, there there's nothing else we could talk about. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, Kind of like when, you know, when people who like sell Amway get together, that's all they can talk about. <laughs> I was going to say Rush fans, but yeah. <laughs> also works. Absolutely. <laughs> well played. Yes. Well, yeah, and that's and that's another thing where I can't quite, I don't know if that's a necessity of the narrative where it's like we need to f- flesh out this <laughs> cannibal culture, this eater culture, but they don't really have a culture because they seem to be very distrustful of one another. Well, I mean, and, and rightfully so, because they're all they're, they're all at, complete wild cards. You don't say seem to ra- know what kind of eater you're meeting. No, as they say in Ravenous, it's not easy being a cannibal. It's hard to make friends. <laughs> um, which Very is much. true. Like, it's 100%, like, I imagine. But, like, at the same time, it, it also makes it very difficult to know how to handle anything. Like, what kind of future does she have? And, like, so the question becomes, like, is she doomed to be alone? And it's like... Well, she found Timothy Tam, Tam, Tamberline Chakrack, Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> and you know, so maybe like they'll be fine. And it's like, well, yeah, like why not? Like hunting in pairs is evolutionarily advantageous. Like, right. I really didn't understand again because they are so I don't know, like mealy mouths about what the hell this thing is. Because again, it's a compulsion. It's not like they're Hannibal Lecter where he's like eating people's fun. Like, oh, that's- yeah great i like it it's just like yeah i still eat like lamb and stuff but like you know they're like uh i can't help it i had to bite this girl in the middle of a living room like what does that graft to in our world and if that's the case is the worry just that like you're going to be hanging out with an eater and then be like oh shoot we haven't eaten a human in three months and then you're just going to start ripping at each other well i mean how do you get any sleep next to another eater let's assume that that's you know, and it's like, that's the thing. It's not even like eaters don't eat other eaters. That's, that's the thing. It's, you know, it's, it's not like, like vampires don't kill other vampires. They're, the, the rules of the society seem to be very, very wishy-washy. I just don't know why you would eat another eater. Like uh, that's, it's again, like this is the one person on earth who can understand you. Yeah. So why would you eat them? Like, yeah. you know, it just, it's, it's like, there's the thing of an honor among thieves. Like, why wouldn't there be an honor among eaters? Like, I have no it just idea. felt to me like. You know, in it, did you see Doctor Sleep? Yeah, yeah. The 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 true knot, the yeah. the weird. The, I was I was watching this movie and I was like, oh, when when Sully showed up, I was like, he looks like he belongs in the true knot with his weird hair and his mm-hmm. backpack and mm-hmm. his jangly vest and his hat. Oh well, yeah, the hat. Um, not as cool as Rose's hat. No. Yes, but I was like, oh, this is what like there's going to be like there's going to be like a little carnival of eaters that are like, hey, like we're all friends. We've all got our power. He's a sniffer and you're a a viber or whatever. And instead, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. We all kind of (laughs) suck. Like, you know, don't trust us. Here's the A minus on the report card full of D's. When this movie wants to be scary. It is really bloody scary. This movie does not go for jump scares. This movie knows exactly how to bloody terrify you, whether it is Sully doing his thing, whether it's Stuhlbarg doing his thing. Lord knows whether it's the scene with Chloe Sevigny, which which starts dark and goes way darker. That's the one thing I got. Like, I kind of want 
Guanino to go full horror because the guy seems to get how to start a scene macabre and just push it full over into full blown terror. Yeah, but I mean, he tries to do that in Suspiria, and it was terrible. no. But he, but this is like, I mean, he's he's getting better. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, this time it was just boring. <laughs> I mean, no, the scene with Chloe Sevigny was incredible, and I liked what they did with her character. Like the whole the whole payoff for that and her her letter and everything was great. And like it's it's like um when you're watch <laughs> the road, you know, the movie The Road or the book The Road by. We'll Carmen be talking Hardy. about it in a minute. Yeah, I that's one of my other sides. Oh, good. Uh, but Mine I have too. another one in case because right. I was like, the road feels almost too easy. Yeah. But like the road is nothing but kind of what we're talking about. It's like a bleak landscape and there's people just walking and it's episodic and there's picaresques, but like you get a glimpse and the glimpse is terrifying. So when he says like, oh, there's like you know, fires in the hills where the blood cults are, and you're like, What's a blood cult, man? Why aren't you giving me that information? Oh, a person showed up and they were missing fingers because they must have been outcast from one of the communes. It's like, what are these communes all about? And then you go into someone's house and in their basement, there's a bunch of people chained up with limbs missing because they're being kept as a human cattle. And like, you know, you you just see things like this and you 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 get out to get safe. Clearly, your character's not going to stay there, but it builds a world. And I just feel like this one failed to really build the world yeah and it it would every once in a while dip into it but like it was too focused on this relationship that again i don't think allegorically plays out in a way that is interesting allegorically perhaps performance wise not at all like i don't know i don't know if it's them or the writing or the direction or a combination thereof but that's that's the thing is if you don't want us to care that they're eaters, you want us to care that they have connected with another soul. Okay, cool. That's what you have to sell. And they weren't selling it. And I think the problem might have been Chalamet. And like, I don't love Timothy Chalamet, but I have liked him in things. Yeah. Um, But I think that this movie, you need him to be more charming and charismatic than he is. You know, he's doing his like mumbly, like head kind of down, like my hair is pink for some reason or orange. (laughs) I couldn't even tell. Um, But like, you know, I just watching him, I was like, I need I need I need a little more. You need to be something more than just pretty, you know, I'll understand if the girl's like, oh, my gosh, he's pretty. But like even a teenage girl will get tired of a person who's boring. And I don't think he ever like. I'm not sure they will. Actually, that's listen. I think that's an adult woman. I don't think a teenage (laughs) woman will. I think that as like the pretty goes a long way with teenage girls. It eats people, so I feel like maybe we (laughs) like maybe we need more there. And he's just maybe be more of like a Peter Pan character who's like trying to sell the lifestyle a little more. Maybe. And And instead, every everyone except for Michael Stuhlberg's friend seems to be like i mean you know it's what you gotta do and i'm like the suicide rate amongst eaters must be sky high this movie commits the cardinal sin of wasting andre holland if we want to talk about things that are wrong with this movie you oh know, yeah no i bring mean him in who you know we we talked about on high flying bird i think mm-hmm. we're the only two people who talked about high flying bird including oh. everybody in high flying bird they've um, all forgotten andre holland's like i wasn't in high flying bird there there was more there i mean like that that is a story this father who married an eater and raised another eater and he's got to like make sense of it all. I mean, there's your movie 
forget Chalamet. I don't need another. I don't need another one. I yeah. need the human person who married one and is raising another. And it's like, what can I do? I mean, it's the the movie cheats by saying you got to run, and I'm not going to run with you. You got to go. Yeah, you're on your friggin' own now. You turned yeah. 18. Happy Peace for out. You. Yeah, out. she's eating people. I don't feel like the legality of abandonment at this point is really. It just is like kind of a weird choice. And I looked up the book. Yep. And there are differences in the book. Apparently the book, she's 16. Okay. And that's when her, her mom is like, I'm out of here. And then she goes looking for her dad. Oh, okay. So I don't know why the change was made. I don't really care. I think that both the actors playing her mom and her dad acquit themselves well. And I think his little tape. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like when he, every time he talks, it's great. It's wonderful. And I was like, oh, we're going to get this the whole movie. Mm. And no, then at no. the end, he's going to say some powerful final line that's going to tie all this shit together. And instead, he's like, all right, we're like, uh, I don't know, like an hour and 40 minutes into this two and a half hour long movie. Is that how long this movie was? Yeah, about two, two ten. Two eleven. Yeah. So like, I don't know. He was probably like an hour and a half in. He's like, and eh, I'm done. Yeah. And I was like, oh, OK. Rip the, t- rip the tape up. In front of us. Yeah. And then and then she goes and like finds her mom. And then I'm like, oh, okay, because this is the end of the movie. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it's gonna just keep rocking for a little while. <laughs> and yet, and that's and that's the sad thing, is when when these supporting players come up, like when Alice tumbles through more nonsense in Wonderland, these people are interesting. And I don't know if it's because they're grown-ups and they're fully formed and they've got baggage or what. But I would much rather spend another hour with Stuhlbarg or Rylance or mom or dad than I would five more minutes with Chalamet and, and you know, and our lead. The, the love story between Andre Holland and Chloe Sevigny's characters has got to be so much more interesting. I want, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't normally go for prequels, but I would line up to watch this prequel. Yeah, what, what would the prequel be called? You're a what? seriously no no bones about it seriously i like i would i would pay good money to be sitting at the table across from them on their third date um right did she like just hide it from him and then she was like oh no i'm pregnant like this is bad that's what i'm saying that's the point at which that's the point at which she should be like i guess she could be like well maybe she won't be like me but it really does seem as though it's fully friggin genetic yeah like everyone we get is like, oh yeah, my dad, my mom was an eater, and it's just like you guys need to stop boning down. <laughs> like, <laughs> it should it should be like the line ends with me, but apparently not. Right, that's like, and that's the thing. Like, I Chloe Sevigny's character clearly wrestles a lot with this, and honestly, I think her story is friggin' metal as hell. Yeah, because she commits herself, bites her own hands off. And is like, I'm only staying alive so that I can murder my progeny if she comes looking for me. Because <laughs> that'll mean that she is one of us and we are terrible. And I'm just like, whoa, lady. <laughs> that's that's a, awesome. That's what I'm saying. When this movie wants to go dark, it goes very, very dark. Right. But then, then it, but then it's got to get back out into the Ohio sunshine. Right. And then that happens. And then Marin is just, instead of Marin being like, if my own mother's trying to kill me, maybe I should kill myself. She's like. Uh, I'm going to go walk to a farmer's market and get harassed by a man in a van. And then Timothy <laughs> Chalamet is like, oh, I'm going to go live in a tent by a lake. This seems like it wants to be a movie about identity in place. It seems like it's a movie about like trying to figure out who you are and where you fit into the world. Right. 
Sure. You know, if you tilt your head and squint, occasionally that's what this movie is about. But then it 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 seems like it just gets so distracted and wants to move on to the next place and have that question again and the next place. Like it doesn't actually give me any time to consider what it means to be my identity to be an eater and to look for my place in society. Right. Cause it's not like, again, like with it not grafting onto other things, the easy way to look at this would be like, you know, are you gay? Because it's like, Oh, it's nothing I can control. It's something the society doesn't agree with, or like in the eighties wouldn't have agreed with as hard especially given where they're living, you know, uh, like how am I, am I ever going to find someone who understands me? It's like, Oh, there's a whole community. Like I've gone to New York and I've gone to times square and all these people are, there's a difference between that and eating someone. Well, I mean, there's there's another, there's another thing that I mean, I never really kind of latched onto and didn't really pull apart is this movie is set in the eighties for reasons. I do not understand. Literally have no idea. Other, other than that, like you just need them to not have cell phones and basically a Rand McNally Atlas. I was like, Oh, we're in the eighties. It's the height of the AIDS epidemic. No, there's going to yeah. be a thing about that. Means no. me- absolutely meaningless. You can set this movie now and it means nothing, you know, cause these people could just get rid of their phones and live off the grid and away you go. Right? Uh, maybe like the whole thing is like, she would like do a Reddit post and be like, <laughs> am I the asshole for eating a girl's <laughs> finger? And someone else would be like, no, nah, man, if you need to eat someone's finger, you just eat that finger. And people right. are like, what's wrong with you two? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we should like DM each other. And it's, oh, we're both cannibals. That's nuts. We'll put that in. We'll put that in with the, with the prequel about the, right. the guy the- who, who marries an eater, gives birth to another eater and just needs to figure out what he's going to do with his life. Yeah. Aside from and make then- a tape. <laughs> and then we have a sequel where it's someone trying to run a Mastodon server of ears. <laughs> Jesus. We've been defederated by everyone. Uh, I hope that in the time it takes you to post this, people still understand what Mastodon is. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's already lost all of its cultural cachet. Earlier on earlier on this evening, somebody actually asked me, how is Hive working out? I'm like, it's really not. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems weird to be doing this, but we do end our, our matinee cast with a souvenir. Something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Brian J. Rowan, what would be your souvenir from Bones and All? I want Sully's knife. Interesting. Why? It looks like a, re- it looks like a really good knife. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, a guy who's got a good knife probably a cannibal so (laughs) and like every time i see him using the knife i'm like that's a pretty nice looking knife and it's not like a flashy knife you know but it it looks like a good serviceable utilitarian or he runs the carving station at the sunday brunch buffet (laughs) yeah would you would you like dark meat or would you want something more rare i want the truck the truck that gets like six miles per gallon i feel like they had a little bit more character you know like all all of the Mm -hmm. all of the vehicles now they all kind of look like they're just stretched and squashed versions of the same sort of thing i liked it when they were a little bit more boxy um so also like the 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 cars in this movie basically function as like wallets and cast iron cookware and like you know your grandpa's like leather notebook like they just every every vehicle is so personalized it's like oh this guy, I we found his house, and uh-oh, there's people in it. Let's go check his car for all the clues about who he was as a person. Yeah, yeah, And totally. it's just like, 
I don't do that. Like no one does that anymore. Like no. if you flip down my visors, you're not even going to find parking tickets in there. You no. find nothing. Like yeah. if you were to ransack my car at this point, you would know that I keep too many napkins from fast food <laughs> places. That is it. We rate here on the Matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Brian J. Rowan, what do you give Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All? I guess like two. Yeah. 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 I, I, mean, I didn't hate it, but like I'm also going, it was okay. kind of boring. So I'm like, going two and a half because I'm going right. I'm I'm gonna go two and a half because the scary works. Yeah. Well that that that's where I'm at with this movie. It's not really good. You can skip it. Um it's it's certainly not for me bigger splash or call me by your name. But when he wants to go dark, he goes really dark, and that those parts I like. Um, hey, maybe you love this movie. Maybe you thought it was awesome. Uh, maybe you hated it even more than we did and thinks it's just absolutely terrible. Uh, let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I am matinee underscore CA or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Luca Guadagnino's bones and all? We are going to take a very quick break and come back after this. We've got the other side right after uh, this quick break. We are back. It's Matt Nacast 297. It's Christmas time, holiday time, Hanukkah time, Festivus time. We actually Just hear those sleigh bells jingling. Yeah. We, uh, at work, we, we aired our grievances this week. It was great. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We did. It was That's fantastic. Awesome. It was wonderful. Um, Jim needs to stop microwaving fish. <laughs> basically. Um, we've been talking about bones and all it's the other side. It's the, uh, moment of the show where we talk about other reading further reading, uh, complimentary films. Um, Mr. Rowan is going to get us started. What was a movie that you thought that people could go on to after this, uh, film <laughs> people, I, I almost want to use air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> this, this audio visual experiment. Um, so the movie that I kept thinking of that I was like, oh man, you know what? did a similar ish thing in such a better way, but like you really can't compare these two directors um, is Badlands by Terrence Malick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was getting that vibe in this movie. Um, you know, I tell people about Badlands cause I kind of feel like that's a movie that people don't think about often enough or know what it's about. Um, so Badlands uh, is Terrence Malick's first film. Uh, it stars Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek, which like, what the hell? What was his like? Was he just like early on those trains? Like, can you imagine if your first movie you ever made is Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek? Both, anyway, both very young, like pre yeah. Carrie, oh Sissy Spacek, pre Apocalypse Now, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen in this movie is the sexiest man you've ever seen. Yes, he is. He, and, he is and, so and cool. Our definition of like hot and cool has changed because now it's. Uh, you know, freaking mop with a t-shirt on it, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. And I'm I'm on the MDB page for Badlands. I'm looking at the trailer, and Martin Sheen has like the 50s haircut, mm-hmm. you know, the thick hair, and he's got the blue jeans and a white t-shirt on that looks like it's painted on those pecs. <laughs> and he looks like he could throw a bale of hay across the town and hit the railroad tracks. I mean, <laughs> this guy looks capable. But anyway, so it's about <laughs> it's, it's based off 
the uh, Charles Starkweather murders. Martin Sheen plays a young man who ends up kind of like, I don't know the right way to put this, um, seducing, or, or you could almost even say grooming, like a very much younger woman, uh, girl, actually, teenager, um, in Sissy Spacek, and kills her parents, and then just takes her on a cross-country road trip of murder and mayhem. Um, and it's great. It's like a little travelogue around this place. If you've ever seen a Terrence Malick film, you can kind of guess that it's going to be beautiful. It's an incredibly interesting, like beautiful, melancholic peek into this strange world and what would make someone do this and what would make someone stay with a person who does this. And it straddles that line of morality and uncertainty. And the connection between these two people is like so like morally fraught. Uh, it's like the nicest way you could put well, it. I mean, it's also and just it's, a complete freaking nightmare. It's, um, it's of a different time from a different time too. So mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like Guadagnino now looking back at the eighties and seeing these two teenagers and, you know, you could have basically put that same story into 2022 and it mm-hmm. would have worked. This is a film in 1972 about, uh, you know, a, a, a relationship happening in 1950 something. Yeah. And, you know, even in, in looking even just back at it from the standpoint of 72, it's problematic now, but it's 70 in 72 is like, it was still kind of a thing bad. Let us not be you know, unclear here. Not good, but happened. <laughs> um, and you know, certainly in the fifties very much happened. And yet the, the grooming, that part of it is not really the key of the story. It's just these two people being in this moment and, you know, kind of getting just lost in themselves. Like that's the thing right. that, you know, well, he's 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 like on. I don't want to call him an idiot because clearly he's got you know some skills with murder. He's not book smart. He's not book right. smart. But he's not. But he's a smart. he's a road maintenance worker, isn't he? I thought he was a garbage man. But I mean, he. I think he kind of like Close. goes around and does everything. But yeah. I should have watched this movie before I talked about it. Now I'm watching. I'm just like on the IMDb page and it's playing like clips. And I'm right. like, I think I know what I'm doing after <laughs> we stop talking. Yeah. Um. Kind of like you get it. Like, oh, he's not like you know super clever mature and she's like really like you know it's that grown up in that kind of way where it's like i don't know like we could all die next year like we're living in poverty but it's like yeah like the you know it's wrong you know it's bad but you don't really have to revel in it and it's because of everything else is going wrong like it's just there's a lot to feel uh upset about so but it also plays really well and sweetly at times which just makes like the overarching weirdness and amorality of it all all the more which i think that the bones and all never quite gets its 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 arms around i mean like i don't know like this movie is just so much more of a complete vision it absolutely is Uh, and then on top of everything else it's made by a master so as handsome as can be and you just you know you you just want to uh, you know a master on on their first feature you know that that's really going to make even you know grander masterpieces plural uh as as his career goes forward but still might be controversial but i think i like badlands more than days of heaven your point why why we're we're doing so well (laughs) why why, why do you got to be like that what's what's your lowest tier malik are we counting his latest things? Because yeah. they're, they're gonna they're gonna kind of fill in the bottom real fast. Oh, okay. You're one it, of those people. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, we already tipped off uh, the the other side that we both have in common. 
um, The Road from 2009. It's strange because it was kind of a movie that just sort of came and went. It didn't really do any damage. You don't hear people talking about it very often. Um, and yet it is, it remains so very, very good. It doesn't hurt that it's based on an incredible piece of uh, writing by mm-hmm. Cormac McCarthy. John Hillcote uh, directed it with uh, Viggo Mortensen. Who did the proposition? Of course. Um, you know, with, with Viggo uh, front and center, Cody Smith McPhee, uh, just, you know, young and dewy in that movie. Um, and yet it is so bleak and uh, threadbare and harrowing at every turn. I talk about these mov- these moments of darkness that dot. Um, bones and all well the road is one great big long dark and we're gonna wander through it and every few stops i'm gonna have to worry about whether or not i'm gonna have to kill my own son that that movie's amazing when i picked up the book i when i picked up the book my my understanding was a father and a son post-apocalypse you know they've got a gun and they're just like making their way and i was like this sounds awesome like this sounds super cool great i'm in it i settle in right and i'm like let's go and the first time that a bunch of people on like come upon them on the road and they go and hide in the woods and the father puts a hand over his son's mouth and holds the gun to his head and you come to realize that the gun is not we're gonna take out this scum it's i'm gonna make sure that my son doesn't have to live with being a captive of the horrible people that are around here I set the book down and had a panic attack because <laughs> that's when you realize like what you're dealing with and the level of like do or die stakes and intensity that it is. And from that moment on that book never stops. And I like, when they said like, we're making a movie, I was like, why would you do that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and then they said, uh, John Hillcoat's directing it. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm on board. Like, right. this is great. Like I fully understand because he is the director who will keep that gun against that boy's head? They make a point early on that in surviving this apocalypse, they screwed up. The father in this movie, he's the kind of father who he sees the the chaos outside and he immediately goes inside and starts filling up the water in the bathtub because he mm-hmm. knows in like in five minutes, we're not going to have any more water. So I yeah. need to get as much water as I can right now. And yet the mother points out we screwed up in our plans because we're down to one bullet and now there's three of us. Yeah. You know, and that's the whole point. It's not that I have a gun. It's I've got a gun and one shot. And this guy, he's the kind of guy who he's like, I'm not even going to think for a hot second that this one shot is going to stop somebody who's going to cause us harm and give us a chance to get out of harm's way. I know that there's no way I'm getting out of this. So my one shot is going to be that I'm going to take this kid out of this mayhem and yeah. not have him have to endure another second of it that he doesn't have to. The kid has no comprehension of how bleak that is. We do. And yeah. Vigo certainly does. And every, and- you know, when they come across these people, like same sort of thing as bones and all Every time they come across somebody, the film, it turns the screw that much more, whether it's the old man played by Robert Duvall or whether it's, you know, the, the, the people that they meet in the house or the, the, you know, the kind of pack that they meet on the road in the truck. Um, 
every time that that they find somebody as they're tumbling down the rabbit hole, you know that things are not going to go well. But yeah. it also has the stones to stick the landing on all the other in between parts. It's, talking about Robert Duvall, it, this this gives you an idea of how bleak this movie is, but also how like beautiful it can be. There's a quote where Viggo Mortensen's character asks of the old man, you know, do you ever wish you would die? And the old man gives the most Cormac McCarthy response of all times. No, it's foolish to ask for luxuries in times like these. <laughs> like there's a line in, in his novel, Sutri, which is, I think my favorite novel by him that I think about all the time, which is where Sutri is talking to this rag picker who lives under a bridge. And the the rag picker is like, I I always did believe there was a God. I just never did like the son of a bitch. <laughs> So I'm not sure I've actually ever read Sutri, to be oh, honest. Oh, it's like, it's nuts. I, it's kind of crazy that it's my favorite one. I th- <laughs> Actually, no. For me, it makes perfect sense that it's my favorite one. I feel like not a lot of people would choose it as their favorite one. Because it's a lot of, again, like a picaresque kind of episodic. You know, it doesn't have the, 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 the clarity of the narrative of The Road actually took me a lot by surprise. Because like, I had read Blood Meridian. I'd read like The Orchard um, Keeper. I'd read a bunch of other ones. They're like more poetic and they like have their divergences and the road definitely takes divergences, but like the, the brevity, the simplicity, the pared down nature of it was just like shocking to me. And so it's actually been weird reading now the passenger and being like, okay, we're not in road territory anymore. (laughs) Like we're back into the weirdness, but we still have a little bit of the pared down, but also like we're not fully back to Sutri. It's, it's interesting. He's a, he's a fun author in that way. Um, well, my yeah. other other side was from just a little bit after that. I wanted to think about a film that hinges on a family secret. And I went back just a little after the road. Uh, I went back to um, I went back to the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, and okay. I got to thinking about that movie for all kinds of reasons. I got to think about that movie because uh, it's it's another movie that is really bleak and threadbare in some ways seems to be what bones and all wants to be bones and all really doesn't want to be badlands i don't think i mean maybe it wants to be badlands if it does it's it fails badly i feel like it kind of wants to lean more into the road girl with the dragon tattoo um you know gray and washed out sort of thing it's it's not the summer soaked um, Guadagnino that we've come to know like the, the color palette in this movie is actually quite muted um, oddly enough and yet the whole thing of the family secret of this is what you are this is what your mother was I've known this all along you need to run um, the secret is not played and explored as deep as it is in something like the girl with the dragon tattoo I could really roll with either one to be honest, the the Swedish version, I always thought was a really good film of, you know, for being faux Fincher. And then Fincher comes in and does actual Fincher and just takes <laughs> it and, and, you know, gives it more craft. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because Nomi Rapace made that original performance so iconic that it's like, how can anybody else do this? And yet in comes Rooney Mara who doesn't try to do an impersonation. She makes it her own. And both of them are these people who get shit done, who have interesting relationships uh, with 
uh, Bloomquist in either version, like both in both cases, the chemistry is there. The, you know, not always sexual chemistry, but just the, the chemistry of characters is there. And it's very much about digging into this secret and really understanding what has happened. I, I, I really love them both. I think they're kind of both equal in my brain. The, the American one has a little bit more craft to it, but they're, they're both fantastic films. I think I still just kind of prefer the first one first. I think just because I saw it first. I just was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is like great. Why do we need more? And then I saw Fincher's and I, it was great. I don't think it did enough that it needed to exist. Like it would never. It exists because people don't like to read subtitles. That's right. the only that's reason the, for that to exist. Right. And the problem for me is like, I think that Insomnia, the original Insomnia is a great movie. I think that Christopher Nolan's Insomnia is also a great movie. And I think that he changes enough and moves i mean he moves it first of all from scandinavia to uh, alaska so even just that even just saying like we're in america this time yeah, yeah. that adds a lot to it because suddenly you don't have to worry about like the fact that like he's in a different country mm-hmm. and like the gun laws are different and like there's a whole different society now we can like interrogate some like american things so it's like it's a cop who doesn't care if he has to plant evidence but it's like oh actually you should care about that and like, you know, guns are everywhere. Like, everything's like a friggin' nightmare. Um, and I think that Nolan adds enough to it. And I don't, I think Fincher's is just still like, well, we can't leave, we can't remove it from there because a lot of it has to do with like Nazism and the terrible past of this specific place. But then everyone's talking in like English. I don't, it's just, it was kind of weird. It was just a little uncanny. And I remember going in and I'm like, oh, they're still there. So, uh, okay. All right. You got Daniel Craig. Cool. Uh-huh. You got Christopher Plummer. Then you got like some people who actually have Scandinavian accents. And I'm like, what are we doing here? What's happening? What's well, then, this? and then you throw in Stellan Sarsgaard for, you know, to, yeah. just, just to get one suite in there. Yeah. It's just like, well, he's gotta be the bad guy, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> he looks like a bad guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved, I love both. I love, I just, I love the story, which I mean is interesting in its own right, because the book is not awesome. Um, the book needed an edit and nobody wanted to because the writer had died. So I was about to say, cause he was already dead, right? Worse. And, um, you know, nobody wanted to go in there and touch it and really mess with it. Cause it's like, well, we don't know. Um, it's strange because it's a series that, of books that gives diminishing returns. That first trilogy is a trilogy of movies that gives diminishing returns. But yet that one first story in either version are, are films that escalate the core material. Cause they basically serve as the edit is what happens is there. Right. Well, we can adapt cause we don't care that, you know, he publishes book. His vision is out there. This can be our vision, which Whether, is like the best kind of adaptation is when you're like, yeah, the gone girl kind of thing, but, which oh. is another Fincher where it's like, this yeah. is pulp. This yeah. is not but just, high art. No, just in general, this give is, it a sheen. this is the one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd be, I'd be interested to, I would be interested to read this book and compare it, read bones and all and compare it to what Guadagnino did. My great frustration with modern properties, especially modern cinema where books are concerned is adapt the book exists nobody's going to tear the book away and put it away and say that the book does not exist to be beholden to that original material because you might piss off a fan because you cut out their favorite chapter or their favorite song or their favorite sub character or whatever too bad 
it's you know you got to kill some babies and yeah, unless you're peter jackson in which case no then that's three, but that's but that's three that, movies for a hobbit for, is totally yeah, I, fine. no thank no like i i was i was so done like i barely got through the first one i barely the second one the second one got me because it's got a dragon the third one i'm like i just kill each other i don't wow. care <laughs> i think about it all the time when i think about those last those last two harry potter movies those last two Twilight, Twilight movies. movies, what's coming with Wicked, what will inevitably come when we get all down the road to Hamilton. Um, it's, Ugh. you know, adapt, please. Yeah. I beg you, you're going to actually come up with something that's more interesting by not being precious and to the source material. And there's people who, who can be precious to the source material, but still adapt it well. Like I think of um, Joe Wright. Joe yeah. Wright doing Atonement and Anna Karenina, but right. he adapted those books like flawlessly. And it wasn't by keeping everything in. It was by knowing what to keep in, what to condense, what to change around. It and, was great. Like, and yet, oddly enough, he also knows how to build out because his most recent film, which we covered earlier on this year, Cyrano on this show, and, um, which I adored and my co-host on that episode was kind of mixed on because she wasn't crazy about the music and i love her anyway so i'm not going to throw stones um but the interesting thing about that movie is there is something where the stage production was screamingly minimal was like it was like two chairs and a loft Mm -hmm. and he built it out into this huge city with nooks and staircases and theaters and you know cobblestones and whatever so it's weird like he knows when to go big and when to go small and when to adapt and what to do meanwhile somebody tasked with making wicked is like well we got to turn it into two movies because we don't have time oh my god is that really what they're doing they're literally making two movies out of wicked because they don't have time to, to cut it down into one and that's insanity to me. Good luck. You can make Les Miserables into a single movie. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I've never seen Wicked. Maybe Wicked is three hours long on it's, Broadway. It's a no. long, listen, it's a long musical, but you can adapt it. I, I need to be that long. I have faith. I really do. Ah, uh, there we go. I, I certainly did not like it. That is episode 297 of the Matinee Cast. I am so thankful that Brian J. Rowan was able to come back and, uh, and spend the holidays with me. Um, Thank you as well for uh, spending some time with us. Um, you know, it's, it's it's kind of our Christmas episode. So Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, uh, Blessed Kwanzaa, Happy Festivus, whatever you celebrate or do not celebrate. Um, just be safe. Enjoy yourselves. Um, you know, take care of yourselves. And uh, thank you for coming by. This is also around the time that I started this show in 2009. So thank you for kind of coming around and encouraging 13 years of this silliness um really really appreciate that too um years of all all of this yeah so that is episode 297 of the matinee cast though come on back on new year's eve saturday december 31st for episode 298 it's our year-end show got a couple guests all gonna get be gathered together in one place we're gonna be discussing our top fives of the year it's gonna be a lot of fun uh come on back for that brian of course is on the film stage podcast so the next thing that we're talking about is actually a um the uh, the movie Titanic. Um, <laughs> okay, so, keeping it current, huh? So it's we we earlier in the year we had had a a poll of like, hey guys, what do you think we should talk about? And the options were the Secret of Nim, 
some other friggin' thing and Titanic and Secret and M1. Hooray for me. That was my choice. Um, and then we're like, oh, well, let's do Titanic like around the time that Avatar is coming out because that'll be like a good little thing. So December 11th, we're talking about Titanic. Uh, December 18th, we're talking about the Banshees of Inishirin. Mm-hmm. Um, December 27th-ish, that's a date that's up in the air. Um, Glass Onion. Right. And at some point, we're talking about Babylon. I think we're waiting until late January or middle, early January to talk about Avatar just because of scheduling. Just to and give then, people a chance to see it. Um, well, there yeah, we go. It's and, one of those. I don't know what I'm going to be able to see. If people want to follow you or the film stage on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on every social media at Brian J. Rowan. Uh, I'm super not creative when it comes to screen names. And then, of course, uh, the film stage is at the film stage and the film stage show is at Film Stage Show. So check out all that. Stage hands. Make it happen. Stage hands. There we go. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes there. You can also find them on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Blueberry, Apple, um, iTunes. Uh, you can find them on TuneIn, Radio Public, Podchaser, CastBox. If there is a podcast platform, my show is probably there. If it's not, let me know. I'll put it there. It's super easy, super dope. You can follow me. It's great. Um, feedback on Bones and All, in case you loved it and really hated the Brian and I shredded it, can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at the matinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA. Not there so much anymore, but who knows what happens in two weeks. Um, there's also Facebook, facebook.com slash dark matinee. Ryan, any final thoughts? Um, don't eat people. <laughs> it's it's not as glamorous. Also, didn't it, this is stupid. These people can't like bring a wet nap or something or like take a shirt off like this is a gross like it's like they're trying to bathe in the blood it's like performative i have concert t-shirts that i don't want to mess up so if i'm (laughs) eating something mildly greasy i'll find like a hoodie and and put it on because i don't want to mess up my 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 wolf alice t-shirt knifing pieces off and like they're just going in and chomping and i'm like is that part of it oh for brian i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee